8.30 on Tuesday, September 25th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, hospitals in Mississippi are working to keep qualified nurses. How one medical center is dealing with one of the challenges. Then it's National Voter Registration Day. We'll hear from Mississippi's Secretary of State on getting out the vote. And find out why a new report says the state's public colleges are failing some students. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is in the midst of a nursing shortage, much like what's happening across the country. Hospitals and colleges are working to recruit and encourage nurses to stay in the field. Officials at the Sunny Montgomery VA Medical Center in Jackson say they are trying to attract and retain qualified nurses. This weekend, the medical center held a job fair to recruit at least 34 nurses. Eva Santoyo is Associate Director of Patient Care Services at the Jackson VA. She tells MPB's Desiree Frazier the problem was predicted years ago. It's a nationwide problem. This nursing shortage was actually predicted in the 1980s. And the reason for it is if you look at the number of nurses that are now retiring and you compare it to the number of nurses that entered nursing school, the the numbers don't match fewer people are entering nursing school. That is what's creating the nursing shortage right now. But it seems like a couple of years ago, you were hearing about a lot of people going into nursing because the pay was better and that um, the local colleges almost didn't have enough instructors for the classes and people were on waiting lists. How, how is that? Um, that's another part of the nursing shortage, the lack of nursing instructors is a part of that. Also, the people that are, because nursing schools had to limit their number of students coming in, that added to the shortage as well. And so what are you doing as the VA to deal with this? Oh, the VA is doing some wonderful things for nursing. For example, we are uh, initiating and working on shared governance, which is where the nursing staff themselves actually decide and put together their own policies and procedures for how they're going to run their unit. Uh, let us, we have huddles every week with them and they let us know what they need to do their job because we don't want to have any reason or barrier for them to not be able to do their job. The VA offers a wide variety of benefits. I can't even go into all of them, but it usually exceeds anything that's offered in the community. Um, I'm talking about educational opportunities, tuition reimbursement, and the growth opportunities in the VA are phenomenal. Was there a feeling previously that nurses didn't have a say and that they just performed what they were assigned, but they had no autonomy? You know, um, I've been a nurse for a long time. And when I first joined or first became a nurse, that was absolutely true. But I don't think that's true anymore today. Nursing as a workforce has a great deal to say about how they're going to practice and what's going to happen with them in their, in their work environment. I think that's nationwide. Now, how many nurses do you have at the VA? At this particular hospital right now, I have, I want to say I have approximately 353 nurses right now. And how many would you like to bring on? Uh, Because you've had the fair Mm -hmm. and um, people have expressed interest. How many are you hoping to hire? 
I want to hire 34 nurses. 13 of those nurses that I want to hire are due to the, the addition of the beds on 4C. Can you talk about starting salary? The VA has steps and grades. So when you're talking about a salary of a nurse coming into the VA, it depends on a, on a lot of things. A board of their peers actually boards them and determines what salary they come in at. It's based on experience, education, accomplishments. So every person coming in is going to come in at a different level of that pay grade. Do you have a range at all that you can share? I can share like a brand new graduate might come in at $50,000 a year. That's fresh out of school with absolutely no experience at all. And then someone with multiple years of experience, multiple degrees, that could come in as high as 90 or higher. So that should encourage people. I would certainly consider it coming in, especially if I were a nurse with experience, yes. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that is important about talking about nursing and, and what you're looking for in a nurse? Because it's not a job for everybody. It's not a job for everybody. And when I'm looking for a nurse, I'm looking for someone who is going to take pride in taking care of our nation's heroes, someone who is dedicated to the nursing field, someone who wants to grow possibly in their career. But I'm also looking for staff who are very um, engaged and content in where they are in their nursing career and want to come in and just take care of our veterans. Another nationwide issue is nurses bullying other nurses. Santoyo says in the past they've lost nurses over the problem. I'll be frank with you. I'm not hearing complaints of that like I did when I first got here a year and a half ago. I think we're making major strides in that area. Would you describe for us what it is? I see it more as a lack of patience from the experienced nurse to the new nurse, even from nurse to nurse. Like you should know this and you don't know it? Yes, kind of like that, yes. But, you know, nursing school prepares you to go out. This is my opinion of nursing school, which is wonderful. They give you the tools to go out and do the job, but you learn to be a nurse on the job. And sometimes that takes a little bit. Jackson VA Patient Care Associate Director Eva Santoyo. Bullying occurs when experienced nurses nurses lack the patience to help new nurses or, as Dean Libby Mahaffey says, make caustic remarks and roll their eyes at them. Mahaffey heads the Nursing and Allied Health Department at Hines Community College. She tells our Desiree Fraser more. The nursing shortage does go in cycles, and of course I have been in nursing education for 36 years, and I have seen several cycles. But with um, the retirement of baby boomers, and sometimes the choice not to stay in their field for long, long periods of time, we are expected to have a nursing shortage in different places in the United States. So now that we have this shortage, you are teaching students, how do you deal with this? Well, we continue to work very closely with our um, clinical agencies. They are part of our advisory committee, and so we hear from them what their needs are. And so we work with them closely to make sure we're preparing our graduates with the curriculum they need. And so we give them feedback on our program outcomes, and they make any suggestions that they think we need to do. But our graduates are prepared at, of course, the associate degree nursing level, And in our state, we really only have two pre-licensure exam pathways, and that's associate degree nursing and baccalaureate nursing. But both of those groups take the same pre-licensure exam. Do you know about how many students you're graduating a year? We usually graduate 
around 200 a year, you know, and that just depends on number 200 to 250 a year. And that's not enough to keep up with the demand? Well, it's not just, of course, our school. Um, we think we're preparing the correct numbers at this point in time because there's other schools in our area who also prepare nursing students. But um, the main thing is there continues to be a turnover, so the shortage is not just because of the number of students or graduates who enter the profession, but there's also an issue with retention of nurses too. And so we try to, you know, help them and we try to teach them about coping skills and different things like that because nursing, like most healthcare professions, is, you know, very rigorous. And so we don't feel like we can solve the nursing shortage alone. So we work very closely with our practice partners too. And uh, they understand that it's not just getting a man that's really retaining those nurses. What about um, instructors? I understand that there is a shortage of instructors. We have been blessed in our area because we are an urban area that we have the number of instructors that we need. Now, there's some other places in our state that struggle, you know, all of our all of our instructors have to have a minimum of a master's degree. And so we're blessed now that we have sufficient numbers, but that's the other thing that the age of that faculty member in our state, the average age is over 50, and so the potential for retirements, you know, annually um, remains very consistent that we have a lot of faculty retiring, so... Overall, what do you say to other, well, to hospitals and colleagues? Are they calling you saying, we really want to know where you're at, how many uh, nurses you're turning out? What can you do to accelerate this? Again, we do a lot of that at our advisory meetings. We talk about their needs and we talk about how many graduates we have. They actually come and recruit directly, you know, with our students so that you know, we get those requests frequently, so we work them in any, work with them in any way that we can. Uh, again, that goes in cycles. We have sometimes that our graduates may not get their first choice of a job. You know, they may have to look at other things. They may have to look at an alternate shift and those types of things. But typically, our graduates get jobs real readily. Can you speak to bullying at all? I understand that that is something that happens uh, in the hospital setting between nurses. Unfortunately, I think it happens in a lot of professional settings, but I will tell you that we have a strong focus on civility. We focus on it in a positive way on how to treat each other civilly, and so um, we actually have our own civility statement because we want to teach them, you know, about that while they're in school so that not only when they get out do they treat each other that way, but how to handle it if they don't experience it, you know, how to handle it appropriately. So I think the incivility and bullying does occur, and I think it's heartbreaking. And so we have a focus here and a commitment to treat each other in the right way, and that's both student to instructor, instructor to student, and, you know, our own personnel to each other. And so uh, it is unfortunate that some of our graduates get out there and experience that, and I think that is one reason for turnover. Hines Community College Nursing and Allied Health Dean Libby Mahaffey with MPB's Desiree Frazier. Coming up, it's National Voter Registration Day. We'll hear from Mississippi Secretary of State on getting out the vote. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education with 100% online master's or specialist degrees in fields like teaching, leadership, higher education, and more. More information at rebelteacher.com. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Officials, public institutions, and civic groups are encouraging voter participation today. National Voter Registration Day activities are being held across the state. Ahead of what some call a major election this November, Secretary of State Delbert Hoseman tells us what National Voter Registration Day means to the state of Mississippi. We have so many people that move to Mississippi, and we have our young people that are turning age 18. And We've been out all over uh, uh, in schools all over Mississippi registering them to vote. Um, all the presidents of the universities are having uh, uh, sign-ups today uh, on their quads wherever, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Alcorn, Jackson State. They're all meeting today to sign up individuals who haven't signed up to vote. So we're putting a big press on, on registering to vote. We think it's really important. To me, uh, quite frankly, uh, voting is a right, but it's also an obligation. Uh, we have an obligation to go cast a ballot. Um, I sent off Help ship off uh, the 155th to Kuwait, and um, 3,200 Mississippians are over there in Kuwait and Jordan and Syria and uh, Iraq and all over the Middle East. And they won't be home for Christmas, and they're not going to be home to help their help their children and all the other things that go on while you're gone for a year. And I think we owe them the obligation of casting a ballot and getting in our truck and going down the road and taking 10 minutes and casting a ballot. So we're trying to get everyone registered now. So they can do that. How many Mississippians who are eligible to vote are actually registered to vote? About 1.8 million are uh, actually registered to vote. We believe the number that could be registered to vote is closer to 2.2 million. Uh, Growth factor is much larger than our uh, individuals that are, are deceased. So we're registering hopefully more people than we're losing. The general election's coming up November 6th. What is the last day someone can register to vote if they want to vote in that election? Yeah, It's October the 8th. And so that's why today is so important here. Voter Registration Day is so important. We've only got a couple of weeks left here for people to register to vote. And I also would remind people, if you've moved about Mississippi, uh, uh, you need to go on our Y'all Vote and and change your uh, designation so we have you in the right precinct. And you can do that just by getting online uh, with your driver's license and your voter registration. You can change your place to vote. And if you, in fact, uh, want to go by the circuit clerk's office, they're always happy to see you to do that. But we'd like to have you in, in the right precinct when you go to vote. And there's, there's over 1,800 precincts in Mississippi. So make, make sure that you're, if you've moved, make sure that your voting rights have also moved. How does someone register to vote? Well, they can go online and, and uh, take, off, take down an a application right online from us. Uh, they can go to any of the universities uh, uh, today and register to vote. Obviously, they can go to the circuit clerk at any time and register to vote. And uh, if they register to vote, uh, the online procedure, they can send it, actually send it into the circuit clerk's office, and they'll have to show their ID when they vote the first time. To register to vote, do you have to bring anything, any ID or any materials to register? Usually they'll bring their voter ID and that has their address on it and that, you know, that kind of information. Uh, you know, there's the form says that you are a resident of the state of Mississippi. It further says that you're a resident of the United States, of course. And uh, usually people show their driver's license when they're there. You don't have to do that when you do it by mail. You can show it when you actually show up to vote. 
if there were a runoff election for the special election being held yeah. along with the general election, yeah. can someone register to vote for that? They can. 30 days is the requirement. A runoff would be the 27th of November if there's a runoff, and there may well be in so one of the So there won't be enough time to wait until after the that's, election. That's correct. You'd have to you'd have to uh, register 20, uh, 30 days before that, which would bring you back to October 27th, 28th range. If there were a special election, everyone is eligible to vote who is registered? Yes, oh, if absolutely. If you didn't vote in the general election, you could Whether still vote. Whether you voted or not, you can still come vote in the runoff election. That is correct. When and there's you, no party designation, as you know, uh, right. on that on one Senate race. There's no party designation, so you can come vote regardless of your party. When you register to vote, do you have to register as a Democrat or Republican? No, you do not. We we don't register like that in Mississippi, and I've never really been in favor of it. Actually, um, I, I think people ought to be able to vote for the candidate. So you, you can you can vote in a Republican primary this year and a Democrat primary next year and a Republican primary the next year without having to change anything. If you don't associate with either party, do you register as an independent or is that not a category? No, everybody effectively is an independent because there's no there's no party. Uh, and we, you know, we have an open primary system and, and anybody can go and vote in anybody else's primary they want to. The primaries are party primaries. And that, it's a good question, Karen, to think about. I've been opposed to the state of Mississippi getting into primaries. Um, I think that's a party. You don't want a Republican secretary of state running a Democratic primary or vice versa. I don't think. I just I think it's better that the parties run their own. Now, sometimes that'll they'll have issues, you know, when a party doesn't have all the precincts open on time and whatnot. But it's a party primary, and I think the government needs to stay out of it. Anything else we need to discuss today in regards no, to voting? I, no, every, it's a good reminder. You know, we're we're all over the state today reminding people to register to vote and also have your precinct correct at the circuit clerk's office. But this is the warm-up, actually, Karen. We have started voting uh, and have the last couple of days for military and overseas. They vote 45 days in advance. We start casting our ballots in person 30 days in advance. And if you're over age 65, um, have a disability, going to be out of the county, there's several things that you can go ahead and cast your ballot early if you want to at the circuit clerk's office, and we encourage everybody to do that. It's such a, an important election, Karen. It's, it's, and when you think we're going to elect two senators, and it's very rare that we get this opportunity and all our members of Congress, but you also think about how many of our young men and women are over overseas uh, literally risking their lives for us to cast a ballot. How are you going to face them when they come home and say, well, I didn't go vote. You know, it was my night to play uh, bridge or play golf or something. I mean, come on. So I, I think everybody needs to go cast a ballot. And your website again? SOS.ms.gov. Easy to remember. Delbert Hoseman is our Secretary of State. You're welcome. Listen to MPB News on all your devices. Just download the MPB Public Media app or tell your smart speaker, play MPB Think Radio. Coming up, find out why a new report says the state's public colleges are failing some students. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education with 100% online master's or specialist degrees in fields like teaching, leadership, higher education, and more. More information at rebelteacher.com. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A new report says Mississippi's public universities need to do more to welcome African-American students. 
black students at public colleges and universities is a nationwide analysis out today from the University of Southern California. It says Mississippi earns just over 1.4 on a four-point grading scale. MPB's Ashley Norwood spoke to report co-author USD's Sean Harper at the Education Writer Association Higher Education Seminar. He says other states are not faring much better. There are lots of schools across most of the states that receive one or more A's on the equity indicators. It would behoove a state system to bring together all the institutions within that system and you know, create opportunities for schools that are lower performing to learn from their peer institutions or institutions that are in their same system who got A's to learn what, what they're doing right, what they're doing well, what about what they're doing is adaptable, replicable, scalable. What does the report overall reveal about the nation as a whole? And I think that there's a important semantic distinction here. Most of the conversation about black students for years and years and years has been about why they are failing. This report makes clear that institutions are failing black students. I think that is a really important distinction. The data that we furnish here make painstakingly clear that there are some systematic problems across states, across institutional sizes and and regions of the country, right? It's not like, for instance, those who play into Southern stereotypes that, oh, the South is certainly going to be the worst. Nope, there are terribly performing institutions all across the country. So it, it clearly suggests to me that public colleges and universities have an incredible opportunity to show black students that they care about them, that they're more invested in their success, that they want to improve their access and enrollments, and that they want to hire some black folks to teach them, to be their professors. Um, that's what I hope this report does. I, I hope that it I hope that it helps institutions and state systems realize that they have an opportunity to do better. How does Mississippi stack up in this whole deal? Any comments on Mississippi? I want to say something about that actually. So I spoke with a reporter earlier today who was asking me about California, which has the third highest equity index score in the country. So he wanted me to say why California was so exceptional. California's equity index score is 2.46. The way we calculated these is that we gave each institution a letter grade on each of the four equity indicators. And in the fashion of GPAs, we averaged those. Um, We gave four points to an A, three points to a B, and so on. We average shows to create an equity index score. I said to that other reporter that if my kid came home with a report card and his GPA was 2.46 on a 4.0 scale, but my kid said to me, but dad, it's the third highest in my class. I would say, I don't care. I don't care that you are the third highest in the class. I want you to put some A's and B's on this report card preferably A's, right? So about Mississippi being one of the worst in the country, let me just say that you're not far behind everybody else. It's not like um, 
anybody is performing extraordinarily well. What I think is a more useful uh, page in the report is page 10, where it has the institutions with the highest and lowest equity index scores. So the bright spots for me are the institutions, not the states, but the institutions with the highest equity index scores. USC Race and Equity Center Executive Director Sean Harper with MPB's Ashley Norwood. The report is available online at rosier.usc.edu. That's R-O-S-S-I-E-R dot U-S-C dot E-D-U. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Money Talks. Then at 10 o'clock, it's In Legal Terms. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking. We want to hear from you. Let us know what you think about a story or send us a news tip by visiting MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio.